95 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 3rd of August 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Faden. Good evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So here we are. It's the proper depths of summer now. There's not much going on, but don't worry, we've still got a show for you. We're going to do something a little bit different, though, this time. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, I want to have a lineage love-in. There was two stories that involved Lineage OS over the last couple of weeks that made me just really love Lineage even more than I already do. The first one was that the OnePlus One, among some other devices, is getting official support for Lineage OS 17.1, which is Android 10, if I'm not mistaken. The OnePlus One, that is an ancient phone. It's so good to see that. But the other is that there's an unofficial image for the Raspberry Pi now for the Pi 3 and 4. Now, none of you lot could be bothered to try it. <laughs> Failing, you've got a proper excuse, though. Yeah, it involves soldering, so it's not going <laughs> to happen. Successfully, anyway. So what, you just bought a pie and it was dead on arrival? Yeah, well, if I was, you know, not putting it in a drawer for about six months, I would have realised this and got it back on the warranty, but it is well, well beyond that. It might even be a year that's been sitting there to do my new camera pie, and... Uh, yeah, it looks like it's just the, the power on the USB port just doesn't stay active. I don't know, broken contact or a bum solder on it or something, I don't know. So I bought myself a new super pointy tip from my soldering iron. I'm going to ruin a pie <laughs> swiftly and brutally. <laughs> Excellent. So as far as I can tell, this is the best Android image for a pie, certainly that I've ever tried. And with it being lineage, it doesn't come with the Google apps, but you can flash them which is pretty easy to do. I know, Phelan, you definitely wouldn't be interested in doing that, <laughs> no, obviously. Uh, but hang on a sec. Let me just clarify. This is like lineage like a phone lineage, not lineage like a tablet OS. Um, it's, it's more like a tablet. It thinks it's a tablet. It's in landscape mode by default, but it's not got a, a special UI or anything. Because, I mean, I am picturing a touchscreen sellotaped onto it into the body of one of those 1980s massive phones wandering around going, I'm on a mobile phone! <laughs> no, it is weird having to use a mouse for it. Android has got pretty decent mouse support, but then a lot of the apps don't and stuff, so it is a bit weird. And you've got the auto-rotate situation. Quite a lot of the apps are expecting that, so you have to have some workarounds for that. And the um, the default browser is just shit quite frankly but once you get firefox installed then you're off to the races there what's the use case for this is it just lols yeah i think so or potentially installing a different launcher that is more suited to a telly and then you've got various android apps available to you for streaming media and stuff like that maybe does it do video acceleration do you know well, video is a funny thing. I tried that. So YouTube, I tried um, with NewPipe, first of all, and then the official YouTube app once I flashed the Google apps. But yeah, th that's a pro tip. If you are watching YouTube on an Android device and you're not using NewPipe, then you are doing it wrong because it is so much better than the official app. It is. But it is perfectly smooth 
And you can even have 1080p, no problem, except, well, there is a problem. Everyone looks like Smurfs for some reason, <laughs> at least with my setup. I don't know if that's with my 1440p monitor. What were you watching? <laughs> <laughs> Smurfs. That was the weird thing. Like I, I, put uh, on, I went to YouTube and I was like, uh, I don't know, Linus Tech Tips. And then it's just, <laughs> it, it looked normal. And then he just looks all blue and weird. No, I'm like, it's, it's working. It's working. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you go to 720p, if you knock the quality down, then it works perfectly. Mm. And similarly with local videos or off, off my local network um, with MX Player or VLC or whatever, it was just weird. I don't know if it was my display. I need to test it on a different display and see if that's uh, the problem. But otherwise, it was a really good Android experience, and I would highly recommend it. If you want to have Android on a Pi, then check out this uh, unofficial Lineage OS 17.1 that we will uh, link to in the show notes. It's very likely to be a driver issue with the um, red, green, and blue bytes being out of order. It's fairly common that these sort of bugs exist. I don't know why they would have the bytes in different orders, but various drivers do that, and that's probably what it is. That's weird that it would be different at different resolutions, though. I wonder if it's using uh, if it is using hardware acceleration, then it is possible that the driver expects things in different in different formats. I it, it's weird, but I, it's not unheard of. Mm. Well, if anyone knows about it, then do let us know. Show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do a bit of admin a bit earlier than usual. First of all, everyone who's supporting us on PayPal and Patreon very much appreciated. If you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com/support. And remember that if you support us on Patreon for $5 or more, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And keep an eye on the Late Night Linux extra feed. There should be something coming in that that will be pretty interesting. So yeah, do make sure you're subscribed to that. Now, we had a fair bit of feedback about the, the Discord and community thing. And I think the consensus is let's just not change it. We've got the Telegram group there. Apparently, people didn't know about that, but uh, yeah, there's details on the website anyway. You can get a link there. But I think we'll just stick with that for now. I don't think there was like an overwhelming majority for anything. Just it was what I expected. Some people said, oh, yeah, do a Discord. Some people said, oh, no, don't do that. And I have a discourse forum instead. And some people saying, oh, IRC or whatever. It was just all over the place. So I think we'll just stick with Telegram for now. One of the things somebody said in the Telegram channel, which really struck a chord with me, was if if you're not going to be there and keep it active and have lots of topics, then a a, a dead uh, discourse is a lot worse than uh, a busy Telegram channel. And uh, I think that's the really important thing here is that if we're not going to be there active, getting involved in conversations, then stick with what we've got. Yeah, I think it takes a certain amount of commitment and activity begets activity or whatever. So yeah, we probably should just stick as we are for now. But uh, if we get a load of people saying that we should do one thing, we might consider it in the future. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. You can use a distro like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS or FreeBSD or you can even upload your own custom image. Or you can use their one-click apps like Basic Lamp and Lampstacks, WordPress, Discourse or GitLab. I've been using DigitalOcean for years now, and in that time, they've added tons of new features. Things like managed databases and Kubernetes, 
object storage, and recently virtual private cloud, which allows you to create multiple private networks for your account or team. The droplets start from as little as $5 a month, but you can scale them all the way up to 192 gigabytes of RAM with 32 CPU cores and 12 terabytes of storage. But you can add block storage or object storage as you need it. And if you need particularly high amounts of RAM or CPU, they have droplets optimized for that too. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. So something that I'm calling FOSS Trends 2020, we're pretty much halfway through the year, a little bit more than that, but I thought we could look back at what's happened over the first half of 2020 in Linux, not the other crazy (laughs) shit that's going on in the world, and then kind of look forward to the rest of the year and see what we think is going to happen with that. And I kind of broke it down into some categories. Uh, Phelim, you would uh, kill us if we didn't start with what's happening in KDE world. I think the biggest thing in that world is with the changes happening to Qt that were announced way back in January. Where are we with that? It seemed to be still up in the air the last time I looked into this. Yeah, I don't actually know. And I think we're going to have to wait till it plays out a bit. And it's certainly until uh, Qt6 comes out. Um, I really don't know. I mean, I know they kind of, I don't know whether they kind of walked back, but I think they tried to reassure people that, you know, it's the same QT, it's the same company, you know, it's not like they've changed in that respect and they're just trying to sort of make a profit on the on the stuff they are doing for proprietary customers. But, you know, I don't know. I think we're going to have to f- wait and see almost. I think one of the good things was that there was a huge pushback from the community yeah, when true. that was announced. Um, and, and I'm sure they're always kind of testing to see how these things will go down when they make announcements like that. And at least it was a positive, negative response. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all those bills to take away your rights online, you know. It's like, make them really draconian. And then when you give them the slightly less dodgy one, they accept it. Yeah. And so do you think that's what's going to ultimately come of this then, that they will make a bit of money, but it won't be quite as bad as people thought? I think they're going to continue to obfuscate the way to download the open source version and the accessibility of the the open source version in a way to push people into their kind of money-making revenue um, avenues rather than make any kind of hard and fast changes. I think they'll they'll do that and see how it works for them. And I don't know if that will work at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a place I'd like to find myself because the work they do makes it definitely the best toolkit you can use because you can see all the work that's done for the KD developers, and you'd like to see them get some remuneration for that. But equally, you don't want to be, mm. you know, stuck with a toolkit that you actually can't use properly. Yeah, and and I mean, I've been involved with the Qt community for a long time, and used to go to their developer days for maybe ten years. And this was always something on the agenda. How how do they continue to be a generate revenue to be able to invest in the platform and i think they it's not about anyone getting rich particularly apart from maybe the two cute founders who sold out <laughs> um you know it, it's about ensuring its future and i think we'd, it would be a sad open source world if cute you know ceased to exist well that leads nicely into mozilla And they've not had the greatest of years so far. They started off the year by laying off 70 people because they had been working to try and generate some new revenue streams and they just weren't really working. And they've continued to try and do this 
with the Mozilla VPN, which launched recently, we've often talked about how the Google money will eventually dry up and they need some other revenue streams. But do we think that they're going to actually do it? Oh, no, I don't think they will. (laughs) I think, I mean, they may get lucky. And I suppose that's what a lot of this kind of R&D is, um, that, you know, they capture some kind of zeitgeist in synergy and, you know, everybody starts (laughs) using what a difference is they invent, but no. And, you know, it is actually similar to Qt in that there's lots of things that they get absolutely right and they they can't monetize it. If they were being a bit braver with their... (laughs) Anti-tracking. <laughs> Pun intended or not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. If they're being a bit braver with their browser strategy, the whole privacy market is there for the owning. Um, yeah, Brave have done some uh, some work there, but I think there's a long way still to go. Trying things like uh, their boot to gecko and their um, VPN service just feels like getting away from the core business as we talked about a long time ago and they should focus back on the browser and if they were to say we're going to block all the tracking cookies we're going to stop advertising all those kinds of things they'd make a few enemies but I think they'd get their user share back again isn't that what they've been trying to do though they've been at least making those noises and they have been really instrumental in pushing this DNS over HTTPS thing but you're saying it's just not quite enough then? I need to go all in. I completely agree. Because, I mean, let's face it, the browser market is pretty abysmal otherwise. Like, Chrome or anything based on it is just not open. It's full of toolkit and God knows what metrics that go back and forth. Um, And, you know, uh, otherwise you're stuck on whatever default browser edge on Microsoft looking slightly better than all the other ones, even though that's debatable as well. And I wish they'd make more of a thing of, you know, their isolated containers, you know, stick a Facebook logo at the top of those tabs that have got a Facebook container running or a Google container. But they they take little tentative steps without wanting to try and offend anyone, don't they? Mm. Yeah, it would be great to see them be more striding with that. And yet they do some political stuff, like them having a go at Facebook very publicly and sending a push notification to some mobile users about their blog post, which basically pissed off about everyone. Because mm. like, even mm. if you agreed with the message, sending a push notification, Phelan, did you get this push notification? No, um, but then I don't use Firefox as such. I use whatever the open version that's recompiled on Fdroid is, which has a different name and I've totally forgotten. Fennec? Fennec, yeah. I don't know whether that has all that in built. Because I use a mix of lightning too, so. <laughs> and you don't get notifications on a Nokia 3310. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> but they, they just seem to be one step forward, two steps back, Mozilla. And I, I don't want them to do that. I, I, I'm sitting here looking at Firefox now. I want them to succeed. I want it to be great. But it just, it seems that everything they try is just not quite enough and maybe they're just not being bold enough and not focused enough maybe maybe it's too scattergun throwing too much shit at the wall and just none of it sticks i wonder if they've lost some key people i'm I'm rather out the loop of who works there these days they used to have a lot of really old school open source developers on on staff i wonder if 
through, I don't know, because of their business practices or because of just natural changes, people have moved on and they find themselves with a lot of people who don't really get the open source ethos or the history of the company and perhaps are trying to use modern day marketing, such as push notifications, uh, to reach their audience. And don't, they don't perhaps they don't really understand who their audience are anymore. Well, I think the Raspberry Pi Foundation knows who their audience is. Back in May, they launched the 8 gigabyte Raspberry Pi 4 for $75, and they lowered the price of the 2 gigabyte one. So that's now the entry-level one. It seems like they really do know who they're aiming at here, and it's sold very well by the looks of things. Yeah, I've bought three. I think that says <laughs> wow. it all. I've, I've got a 2 gig and I've got two 4 gig ones. May I advise you plugging them in now to check they work? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I love them. It's just, I mean, they've always been great and flexible and it's always nice to have one spare somewhere for some project that comes along. But um, the the speed and the, the memory on the this latest revision is brilliant. I just I just wish they'd solve storage and that that mm. would be a done deal. Yeah, just put an EMMC socket on it or something just to give people the option to boot from something a bit better than an SD card. Although you can boot from USB now, so it's not as much of an issue. It would be nice if you could add like an M2 NVMe drive, something that wouldn't be much bulkier and something which could even sit underneath it, you know, on on the board itself so Mm. that you didn't have to expand the footprint beyond what it already is. I'd like to see that. Yeah, maybe if they had a Raspberry Pi 4 Pro or something like that, or Plus, Plus, or what, you know, they could keep what they're doing already, but then they've shown that they are willing to go above that $35 price now for certain models. And so why not just go all out and have one that's, you know, $100 or whatever that has this NVMe support? It's, it seems like that is probably where they're going to go. Mm. I'm still surprised that it's selling as well as it is. I still don't get the use cases. I don't know what people are doing with them that needs that extra RAM. Or perhaps that's not the point. Perhaps I'm missing the point entirely. I think it's more a case of it's available so people buy it. Why would you bother buying one that's four gigabytes if for a little bit more money you can get one that's twice the memory? Like, wouldn't you just do that for the sake of it? Why not have that extra RAM? If you're a hobbyist, I mean, not if you're an industrial platform where you know exactly the specs that you need and you, you know, you're counting every penny. But if you are the, the typical hacker hobbyist, then, you know, what's an extra 10 or $15 to get something that is going to serve you better potentially? Yeah. Yeah. I think for general purpose, you're right. I mean, I bought the two gig one to replace an original Raspberry Pi um, <laughs> as. <laughs> as the, that's actually running the <laughs> running the brew the brew pie fridge, and um, I just got so tired of waiting for the web pages to load on it, and so I didn't need any more than two gig, and it was perfect to, for that specific purpose. Uh, especially with the Pi Four being a, a little bit hotter, you just put it inside the fridge while you're <laughs> yeah, running yeah. it. Yeah. Actually, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like how I replaced uh, Raspberry Pi Zero that was more or less working um, with a slightly more powerful Pine board just because I was sick of it taking ages to boot. Yeah, But th- it does the same job. All it does is make white noise. And so it didn't need to be more powerful. But yeah, I can see why people do it. I'd, I'd love a new Pi Zero with a you know faster, faster SOC, more RAM and the same um, footprint. I think it's, yeah, it's really lacking that. 
There's a clone that I supposedly is pin for pin perfect, but I haven't been brave enough to buy one and, and swap it out for a couple of things that I use the Pi Zero for, I'm mostly in a 3D printer. Oh, right. Uh, Raspberry Pi Zero Ws are back in stock at Pi Moroni at the moment, so go quick if you want one. All right, yeah. I remember you said um, that was off air, I think, when we were just warming up a few weeks ago, that you hadn't been able to get one for ages. So Yeah, I ordered one uh, maybe last week, and uh, they're still in stock at, as I look at the website right now. Oh, excellent. It has been a good year so far for ARM, though. If you look at all the stuff that Pine64 has been doing with new Pine phones, Pinebook Pros, and all the stuff that they've announced, it, it looks like the kind of hobbyist ARM Linux side of things is doing really well this year. Not to mention post-market OS, which you can at least boot on over 200 devices. It feels like we're, we're really kind of getting there now when it comes to ARM. It's, you know, maybe it's just the whole industry going that way with what Apple's doing and everything, but we're not being left behind, it feels like. Well, if anything, everybody else is catching up. You look back at the old Nokia devices, which were running Debian in the, well, I don't know, what was it? late 90s, early 2000s, I suppose. Um, Linux has always been very good on ARM, and it, now everybody else seems to have realized that and starting to catch up. Don't worry, with rumors of NVIDIA buying ARM, it'll soon be absolutely brutal to run and will require many binary blobs. So. <laughs> yeah, but those binaries will make it run really well, so it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> there was a news report of trouble at ARM, or trouble between ARM and SoftBank, their new owners. Uh, that I read, I don't know, sometime in the last week. I can't remember the exact details, but um, yes, it sounds like, I, I, well, I do wonder if there is a split between SoftBank and ARM coming up and maybe NVIDIA are there ready to gobble them up. Yeah, there was rumours that Apple would buy them first, but then it seemed that they weren't interested, presumably for antitrust reasons, or maybe, I don't know, don't know what that was about. But yeah, it's looking increasingly like NVIDIA will, will buy them. We'll have to see what comes of that. But in a segment that I tentatively titled proprietary land <laughs> you've got quite a lot going on there as well the windows subsystem for linux 2 became generally available in windows 10 version 2004 is it 2004 it came out in may it makes no sense to me <laughs> their numbering system but this is not something that you have to join like beta channels for and sign up for stuff this if you've got the right machine that's compatible it will just come as a windows update and then you can just enable a Linux VM built into Windows that updates via Windows Update. Yeah, I mean, this is huge, huge news, really. Um, who would have ever thought that Microsoft is shipping the Linux kernel, a Linux kernel, in its proprietary operating system? It's incredible. Yeah, and it was actually December last year that Teams for Linux became available. I think that was just as a beta. And... Um, I think it was Hayden Barnes who made the unofficial web app-office snap, which is sort of a web wrapper for Office 365. So really, you can be either using Linux really easily on Windows or using all of the proprietary bullshit from Microsoft on Linux. What a time to be alive. <laughs> it, it feels like just a weird time, doesn't it? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but surely you fail him. I appreciate that it's not for you, but surely you you appreciate the choice for people. If you're dealing with an organization that uses Teams, for example, wouldn't you prefer to be able to just snap install it rather than having to piss around with some VM or dual boot or something? 
Do I have to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've used it. I have, I have teams on my, uh, machine here. It, it, it gets used once in a blue moon, but yeah, I use it, but yeah, it's great. <laughs> you're not going to get me to be enthusiastic about this it's just not going to happen because i think that wsl is dangerous but anyway yeah but i mean look at the screen you're looking at now look at all the proprietary elements in that screen pretend that screen is contains a windows environment that is booting to a linux environment what's the difference <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Go on, say something good about it, I dare you. That fucking won't. <laughs> <laughs> My tongue has turned black and fallen out. <laughs> but also we missed another opportunity this year. Windows 7 died and people have not moved to Linux. They've moved to Windows 10 from it, predictably. And we, we talked about some of the recent claims that desktop market share was massively increasing, but then it turned out that that was just bullshit. And the Linux Steam usage hasn't gone up and, and stuff. So it feels like we, we're not massively growing, really, despite the fact that you can have stuff like Teams and Spotify and whatever on Linux. Maybe the WSL2 stuff is keeping people over in the Windows world. But running Linux on their screens that have Windows is like their launch environment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, does it matter is the question. Failing would would say very much so, but you're saying, Graham, that you don't think it does, it does matter, really. I, I don't. Uh, I don't think it does. I think that's more people being exposed to Linux. And if we're confident that open source and Linux is the best way of doing that, doing things in computing, more, more people exposed to it brings more people to the community and to the, to the effort, however they get there. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, then there's a little drop down at checkout. You can select late night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. All right, a quick KDE corner before we get out of here. Um, new Slimbook has uh, appeared. Yeah, from the Spanish company, um, and it's KD branded and running the new Ryzen chipset for graphics and processor. So looks quite interesting, gets about 12 hours of standard usage on battery life, and I don't know, looks quite good, um, worth the checkout. Yeah, I've got a few links for that. Um, Cadian Live Tutorials. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Some of these are not the most up-to-date and recent, but uh, one of the guys who's running it is an Italian guy, Luca Trigali. Um, he would admit that he has been uh, machine translating some of these, so they might be a slightly odd, but it is a good way to get a bit of a start off on Cadian Live because like, it's not the easiest thing in the world to use. And he's going to go back through them where someone might be using old screenshots, but it's well worth a look for people who might want to get into the best video editor on Linux. <laughs> and you link to a GIF, a very high-resolution GIF. A very high-resolution GIF, yes. 
It's got all the 256 colors. Yeah. <laughs> it seems a strange way to advertise a feature, but okay. Apparently in 2008, which will be coming pretty soon, um, they've got new layout modes, which is an interesting way of, for various ways that you're doing editing or the audio or uh, effects and many other weird things that I don't understand, uh, grading, whatever that is. Um, I'm sure you can tell me. <laughs> grading is the final process to like get all the colors right and stuff. I think that sounds fantastic. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> um, so they are redesigning the screen layout per those. So it's more customized for each of those sort of modes, which I think is quite interesting. So take a look at that one when it should be out probably end of this month, I'd say. Okay. And Digicam, this is pretty cool. This is like proper facial recognition, like, uh, future shit and it's all local it's not using cloud bullshit is it it's all like on your machine yeah exactly so it used to use the cascade classifier from the OpenCV library which even like loads of cameras you know if you've got that identify face mode on your camera that's all OpenCV generally that's doing running that and even all the big expensive cameras um and they were they get about 80 percent match on people's faces to try and you know say look for all pictures of joe um, and they have switched over to a new one called the Deep Neural Network, which is in the new OpenCV library, and that one is about 97% true. Yeah, and a product of uh, Mozilla Research, which is interesting. Oh, there we go. <laughs> 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 uh, only, only right. what, five minutes ago, kicking them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just a quick one, some Wayland improvements coming to Plasma 5.20 with remote desktop and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, the screencasting and clipboard are enabled, so things like OBS Studio. Is it OBS Studio or OB Studio? I don't know what the S stands for. I think it's Open Broadcasting System Studio, but don't quote me. Okay, rip in peace. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that that's getting there. So, I mean, all of the hurdles that are there are slowly getting chipped away, so we might actually have a very usable Wayland set up soon enough, so fingers crossed. You'll be catching up with Gnome finally, eh? Oh, well, it gets all the love and all the money, but we're just still better. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, I've been John. I've been Phenom. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. (laughs) 